Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. No totalitarian, no dictator has ever figured out how to snuff out the truth. And that's what, of course, gives me comfort. And it's not, it's not just a theory. Um, we're, I'm living it day to day now. I'm, I'm, I'm living in a new world where, where I'm not wrong and crazy anymore. You probably recognize that voice. It is, of course, Celia Farber, and she's back again on Post Woke with another incredible interview, which we will get to right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, Mickey Z here and Celia Farber there. Hi, Celia. Hi, Mickey. Well, Celia and I are giving you a peek behind the curtain because yesterday we recorded a long, excellent interview. But today we agreed that it would really be wise to also record some extra audio to make certain that her book is properly explained. I'm talking, of course, about serious adverse events and uncensored history of AIDS from Chelsea Green Books. Check the show note for the links. This book is already a bestseller on Amazon, despite the fact that it won't be released for another three weeks, but you can pre-order it. So, Celia, why do you think this subject, an old subject for you, of course, is so super popular all of a sudden? Obviously, because COVID, but just as obviously, there's a lot more. So would you briefly tell the post-woke listeners a little more about your book and why it has become essential reading in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, here's what uh, I didn't really get to in our last interview. And in a sense, it's, it's the head, it's the head of the bull. It's the, <laughs> it's the first thing, first things first, right? Absolutely. And, and it, and it is this. HIV was declared at a government press conference in 1984 by a scientist named Robert Gallo at the National Cancer Institute to be the cause of AIDS. This was was injected into the media, a mass consciousness via the media present at the at that 
very um, darkly important moment in time and press conference in uh, April of 1984. What happened there that put us where we are now today with COVID was that we, it was almost like a, a rift and a split in time where it goes from what I would call classical evidence-based science, though it was very corrupt already with a lot around polio and everything else. Okay. So I'm not saying it was all pristine before this Gallo press conference, Mm -hmm. but this is the moment in time where an apparatus is, is forming almost overnight that declares novel, a novel virus not proven, not isolated, no foundation of proof, no Cox postulates. They don't have to, they don't have to prove anything. They just have to stage a press conference and it goes bang on the covers of every newspaper. And then it goes in, it goes down as fact overnight. The New York times had the word probable. And that word lasted not even 48 hours. Wow. I think 24 hours. Probable cause of AIDS had been found. And then immediately you were considered a very bad person if you questioned what the proof was. So this kind of, I'm going to use the word sorcery, uh, sure. is is what I want people to get to kind of, like, why do we care? A book about AIDS, for heaven's sakes, who cares about AIDS? Um, nobody, I'm sorry. I don't mean, I'm not being insensitive to the people who have suffered with it. But when I say AIDS, I don't mean the illness. I don't mean the real illness that afflicted gay men for real in the late seventies and early eighties is when it began in the major cities. When I say AIDS, I mean the, the, the apparatus, the $2 trillion industry, the, 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 the social engineering, the, the religion, the cult, the, the social welfare system that's in it, the, the, the black economy that's in it, the, the raping of resources on other continents that's in it, all the things that this thing can do. And you see, you see that replicated in COVID. It's not an illness. What, I, what, am I, what do I mean by illness? I don't mean people didn't get sick, but when I say an illness like emphysema, like diabetes, like a, a, a classical set of symptoms that that don't change, that when they occur, there's some way to say why or how they are occurring and what the remedy is, and it kind of begins and ends there. With AIDS and with COVID, you have these morphed, much, much, much bigger, uh, you know, global phenomenon mm. that are doing all kinds of things that have nothing to do with medicine or health or the human body or, or disease. So what I left out yesterday was we, we got into a lot about uh, what it's like to do this work and targeting and gang stalking and um, all of that is important, but I never actually said what it was that I covered as a journalist starting in the late 80s. And what it was I covered was the schism between the scientists who came to be known as the AIDS orthodoxy uh, with Fauci at the helm even then, who asserted that the cause of AIDS had been found. It was one, it was a retrovirus found in Robert Gallo's lab, so they claimed, and it it, it decimated a human immune system. There was a test for it. If you tested positive for it, 
yes, you were doomed. Yes, you were going to die unless you went on XYZ toxic drug. They also said it was going to, it was a sexually transmitted disease. It was going to explode in the heterosexual population. It was supposed, I'm pretty sure I got this right. Oprah Winfrey, I think, and others said 90 million Americans would likely die by the year 1990. These were fantastical, spectacular, terrifying claims bombarded through the media and and advertising campaigns and, and commercials many of which I've collected, um, I can send them to you. Yes, and please. Not, none of this panned out. None of that, right? None, none of it panned out. Um, why people are so interested in this today is because you can actually see how, how they built the totalitarian public health monster that got us with COVID. And, you know, we, we went after the monster, all of us who were opposing this, but you know we didn't we didn't get him. He he just was growing. He was growing and growing, and he he lunged up again. So, so then, can I cut in there real quick? I just yeah. want to say that I'm fascinated by this idea that essentially a cult was a, was announced and formed on live TV TV in April 1984, and people like you covered this cult, and now almost 40 years later. This information that's in your book is so incredibly relevant to anyone who's questioning the narrative today. Um, I, well, you know, I, it's it's interesting, Mickey, because I, 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 having having slogged through it at the time, uh, so uh, for me and for people who like we we know it so well, so it's it's difficult for me to imagine how people in today's world like mm. what what would that give them to learn the blow by blow by blow. But what I'm noticing is that when people do read it, they are given a deep sense of aha. Yes. So I understand where Tony Fauci came from, who created him, who fomented this cult of Fauci. Where did all this come from? Uh, you know, so so it is. It's helping people deal with COVID. That's yeah. I I can't agree more. I mean, I will say unabashedly that this book was a revelation. I was around at that time period, and I was reading some of your work, but there is no way to keep up with the volume of of evidence that you've accumulated here. And just, I guess, let me just come back to the question. So as we begin to wrap up this extra time period here, what would you want to say directly to the listeners of why it is so important that this book is being re-released now and why you would feel really comfortable urging them to get this book and read it closely as as a method to towards being less susceptible to these psyops in the future? Uh, because we, you, uh, first of all, otherwise they, the, the, the oppressor will, will, would love to have this history erased as they tried to erase all of us in real time as it was happening. So this is the, the lost history. I'm not the only one who recorded this history, who reported on it, but it, it, I was the one, the most continuous one. So number one, we're preserving the history and you can see all of the facets of, of, of how they went after people. You can see you know, how the targeting campaigns worked, how they took down even the most eminent scientists through shaming campaigns and discrediting campaigns. So you could say that it, it, it's the blueprint for those who are completely stunned and shocked and staggered by what's happening. There's a lot of blueprint in this book. 
I, I couldn't agree more. I, that is the ideal word. So as we wrap up this extra session here and invite people to please listen, because what follows is this, what I feel is a really um, nice balance to this, where be, you go from the granular, and we get into the granular, but you go from the granular to some sense of explaining this process and your role in it. But as we wrap up here, what would be just, if there's any one or two points you just want to make sure you make to anyone listening to this podcast? Yeah, thank you, Mickey. And and s- s- keeping it simple is my, is my challenge to myself. <laughs> um, time has shown that the public health, health apparatus all of it is military industrial complex. Tony Fauci, FDA, CDC, all of it and all of them lie, 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 and kill. Their lies kill people. They must not be believed or taken at face value or seen as some kind of uh, daddy figure that is there to protect you from uh, infectious disease. Another thing I want to say very simply is we we cannot give them another chance to launch their favorite thing to launch, which is a novel virus from a faraway part of the world that jumped species from an animal, don't you know? And it's very dangerous and it's spreading fast and spreading like this and it's spreading like that. And now you have to run and get uh, your ch- the chosen poison swallowed or in this case injected into your arm in order to be a good person this this is over now we're not doing this again that's what happened with aids and that's what's happened with covid they have lost all credibility and it's extremely important that we deprogram ourselves from the idea from these from these concepts which are totally faucian concepts single pathogen you know takes down a human immune system and can kill somebody not true, no basis in epidemiology or the history of disease. You know, go listen to people like Tom Cowan, Andy Kaufman, all these amazing people who are out there now who are t- walking us, and many, many more, walking us through what's, what the, what's known as terrain theory. And I'm, 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 I love terrain theory. I do. Yes. Terrain theory is where it's at. And, and the more everybody now that I, at least that I encounter, completely disinterested and discarding single virus theory. Hooray. And people are looking at terrain theory. Amen to that. And it's a pleasure and an honor to know you and, and to, to put this, put this document together, this episode and the one we worked on previously, and hopefully many more after this. And um, again, I just want to urge listeners as before we take a second to go into the full um and interview serious adverse events and uncensored history of AIDS from Chelsea Green Books. There are two links in the show notes. Look it up online. Get this book. Pre-order it. Read it. Share it with people. Share this information and and arm yourself with the type of awareness that makes you invulnerable to to their to their propaganda and their deception because they're going to keep trying, but they can't succeed if we continue educating ourselves. And Celia, you're a big part of that. Thank you for doing this, and um, I'm ready to get to the main interview. Thank you so much, Mickey. Thank you for thank you for uh, 
for, for doing this extra bit. Um, I'm glad we did it. And, uh, and I, I want to say quickly to your listeners regarding the next part of the interview. Uh, it's not exactly an apology, but I, I, I remember speaking at great length about, you know, the toll that it took and so forth. And sometimes afterwards, I wish that I just said less about that because, uh, well, because I, I'd like to say less about that and more about what's what's directly useful to people but you were very generous and you said yeah you know that's part of the story too so yeah i'm a big fan of balance and i think by putting this section first we got the priorities in order and i feel like the context of getting to know you in this interview is going to make people even more inspired to to read your work because it it is inspiring so thank you again celia thank you mickey The other day, I wrote to Celia Farber to say that the overarching theme I felt while reading her re-released book was that the truth had prevailed. And the book I'm talking about, of course, is Serious Adverse Events and Uncensored History of AIDS. Celia was attacked, for example, by leftist outlets, starting with The Nation, for the crime of telling the truth, which seems like a sign of things to come. I felt as I read the book that her efforts had been vindicated by the more recent exposing of the COVID playbook. So my theme I suggested to her is that the truth wins out when we are diligent and relentless and faithful to facts. But she emailed me at almost the same exact time with some notes that included lines like, I believe we have won the war. We were taken hostage by psychotic mad scientists who people used to believe wanted to quote unquote save their lives, but now most don't believe that anymore. The mask is off. People can see their true faces now, but it was a very steep price to pay for knowledge and awakening. So while we're on this kind of wavelength, it is my pleasure to welcome Celia Farber back to Post Woke. Hi, Mickey. Great to be back. Thank you so much. And I'm excited to to pick up like sort of just right where we left off to some degree with our excellent conversation. And just so listeners know, I will include a link in the show notes for a podcast that was literally called Celia Farber on COVID, AIDS, Fauci, woke fascism, and how we will win. So kind of an ambitious group of topics there. But what we didn't discuss, what we couldn't yet discuss was a mystery, the mystery of how would it feel for you, Celia Farber, to have all of this unearthed again and start stumbling around like a zombie. You you mentioned things like the history of AIDS is the history of industrialized cruelty. And you talk about the people, your colleagues who were the dissidents trying to, to get the truth out there, faced a relentless, asphyxiating presence of violence and threat, which lingered over all of your lives, slowly choking us out. So if you're comfortable with it, I would love for you to talk about the emotional aspect of this experience of having this book re-released during COVID and revisiting topics from 30 years ago that were potentially traumatizing. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you started there because I feel that there's there's a reluctance in our culture, in America, and in me, um, but I overcome it in 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 going to this place, which sometimes I refer to it as the underbelly part of the story, uh, which is the the climate of of terror, harassment, um, and uh, and worse that happens in these 
groups of, let's say, you know, dissenting communities, outsider communities, anything that threatens um, the big power and the big money. And the the main the main ethos. I don't know. You know, please interject if you disagree with me. But it seems to me the main ethos is to is to say, chin up. You survived. Keep going. Don't talk about it. Mm. To, to talk about it for me is not to talk about woe is me, this was my suffering, but to talk about how they do what they do, how they crush these uh, beautiful truth movements, how they how they split them, fracture them, demoralize everybody, and even drive some to suicide and so forth. Uh, there, and, and there are instances... We know this from from our from our American history. Um, people get killed. All kinds of things happen. People die mysteriously. So was it was it a traumatic uh, was it a traumatic time? Yes, extremely traumatic. What was the trauma? Well, the trauma was how the powers that be with it, it wasn't just Anthony Fauci, but certainly he played a big role in it. But actually, it came also from from the street level, level, from the activists, from the act, act up in those groups, there was this, uh, there was a hatred of us. We were called, we called ourselves HIV dissidents, which I thought had a, a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. They called us HIV deniers. And as soon as that word denier was in the air, um, you were, you were you were done. You were destroyed. You were. It was. It was. It's maybe difficult for people listening to this now to imagine, but that was actually the, one of probably the worst thing you could be. You know, in the they didn't really come up with that term until sometime I want to say in the early nineties, maybe even a little bit later than that. But when they came up with that term and weaponized it so successfully, somehow we were. Um, yeah, we everybody understood these are the people to hate. And in our conversation earlier, you compared it to would it have been like being like a Holocaust denier? And I said yes. It, it that kind of um, that kind of revulsion, you know, was was placed around our cause and what we were trying to do. Yeah, the power of a word, the word denier, is is it comes out of. We go far, far back in history, but in the more recent history, it it um, it came out of anyone who asked, who even asked a question about the Holocaust. But then it worked its way up. Now it's like climate change denier. It's 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 kind of normal. But I can only imagine that in the '90s when you faced this, that it was like this indelible stain they were putting on you that you could never be taken seriously again. And I do want to quickly back up and say. You, you talked about the ethos. I, yeah, that's why I kind of started the way I did, where I kind of fell into that trap too. As I was reading the book, I felt I inadvertently separated myself from your emotions and the emotions of all the people you write about. And I got into this vibe of like, yes, the truth is prevailing, but two things can be true at once where the truth is prevailing but there is there was a huge at a very very huge cost for some people who aren't with us anymore but plenty of people are still with us and still struggling with this indelible stain of what was done to try and silence them during this crazy time period 
Yeah, you know, you you uh, you gave me the word there, stain. This is uh, I addressed this in a Substack post last night to my to my readers that there is a uh, this is my contradiction, maybe dilemma. I'm so proud and happy and thrilled that this book is coming out. Um, such a great publishing house, Chelsea Green that the tide has turned, that people have woken up, that it makes sense. That means people get it. You can just look at any video on YouTube and hundreds or thousands of comments and people are quoting Carrie Mullis, the inventor of PCR, knew that it couldn't test. You know, it just, it's amazing. The let, like it, it, the, the, the penny has dropped. I, I would say that most people who are aware of things at all are aware that there are um, enormous problems, to put it mildly, with the HIV. It's, it's not weird anymore. It's not, what, how could you possibly say that? So all, all of that, um, you know, the heat and the, and the rage and the violence is off the whole thing. But it, uh, it's still with, with me in the sense that I got programmed over many, many, many years that I may not, uh, I shouldn't be in the world or have a book or be out there or say anything because they're coming. And when I say they're coming, I mean, I mean, there were, there were experiences that were, this is going to be my, this is going to be not my next book, but it's going to be future Substack posts. What happens, what's not, what's in the book is journalism. What still, I guess you might say, uh, haunts me is what is actually not in the book that happened as a consequence of that journalism, which I dread having to kind of go in, go granular and go into it because it's going to be painful. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that that is actually part of the, like the, the counter playbook that people like us need to have, that future generations need to have to understand when it happens to them. This is how they'll try to break you psychologically, emotionally, financially. Maybe, you know, they can, they can break up marriages. They know exactly they, they, and this now is the the reality of the world that we live in, and I am going to be writing about that. But I want to beware of also pulling back from that and just putting on the hat of okay, I'll be the the historian of the. the and there are thousands of us who who fought this thing. Uh, I'm far from the only one, but I can I can certainly address the history in terms of. What interests me the most, it's the spiritual battle and how we can counter that because anybody who goes up against these forces of darkness is going to be hit. Mm. And that's really what I've been quietly during all the years when I, after I was taken out, taken off the field. Um, that's what I was working on. That's what I feel is most interesting is the spiritual battle. Um, how to stay strong. And I still, you know, I just told you just a couple of minutes ago, it, it it still gets to me. The old programming can still get me. Oh, they're, they're good at it. They're, and I just, let me just quickly interject for listeners that you said that you can go granular, you can be the historian. I can't recommend this book enough. And I really, really urge people to go to the show notes, click on it and order it because we're going to talk today and Celia's saying she's going to continue talking in her Substack about the 
perhaps the, the bigger pictures, the spiritual picture, the psychological pictures, the cultural and, and societal issues, but you are an incredible journalist and the information that's in this book is meticulously documented and it will bring anyone up to speed as to what happened during that time period and anyone paying attention can read it and start to see the connections of what's happened since then not just covid but in general how the government and corporations that own the government do their business so i just want to emphasize that that th- this book is essential reading and we could go into the nuts and bolts now but i think we're going to go into for at least for now, we're going to go into more of, of this emotional and spiritual angle on it. And I, But I first want to urge you that always, always, always set your boundaries and practice your self-care because you have such lessons to teach the generations that are going to be dissidents from now on of what they're going to do, but not at, and not at any further course to you. So I hope that you're taking care of yourself while at the same time sharing your wisdom with the people who desperately need it. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you. I, I do. I do. And I, I work on that every day. And I and I and I address the the remnants of the 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 dark cloud, you know, the thing the the I guess download. Right. That they, cause they and, and I actually think they I don't know how they do it, but they don't they they download. You know, that's exactly what they want to do. Right. They want to chip us and control our minds from remote. Yep. Um, but they 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 if if you if you aren't careful or if you aren't maybe lucky or if you don't have a strong um, beginning kind of of life, which I didn't, and they get certain programs running in you, it certainly can take years and years to transcend it. Uh, I've, I've come a very long way. And I see now that I'm able to stand in my boots and say straight up, I am not the one who has any explaining or apologizing to do i all that time see that's what they're so good at they they flip it they flip the script and they put you the um the uh, the documenter the exposer in the in the hot seat in the dog house in the shame house they're extremely good at that and the culture is wired all together that way right it's like this big gigantic shaming machine and so the shaming machine got us all and we all went off and you know did whatever we did but the fascinating thing well fascinating wrong word the the devastating thing was that there was no answer for there was no transcending the shaming machine the mm-hmm. blighting machine they could do that to anybody and they did it didn't matter nobel laureate head of state, you know, former president of South Africa, Tabo and Becky, didn't matter. And and how they do that is actually how they how they wage war. And that and and we, the other archetype, whatever to call us, we believe naively that our facts and figures and documentation and interviews and voices and first person and uh, and even just appealing to basic human empathy, that those things are going to uh, get, that that they're going to keep us safe. But when they launch their shame storms, there's a different word that I want. They're, um, 
Well, yeah. I mean, they're still doing it every single day, right? Every, yes. Every, but what's the most recent? It's It would be, I guess, Woody Harrelson, right? Woody Harrelson's monologue on SNL. Um, but what I'm pleased to see now, did, did you see that, by the way, Woody yes. Harrelson? That, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. And and when, what, what's, what's so, I guess the word is maybe meta about it is these days when somebody touches a third rail like he did, says a truth, a forbidden truth you're not allowed to say, and then he wove into it about, you know, the, the corporate, the corporate press and how they, you know, how the pharmaceutical cartel owns the press. And then that same press predictably attacks him yeah. right on cue. So it's like he already said, it's, it's like we're just looking at this rin, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. We're just, we're just seeing it repeat again and again and again. And people can see it now. It's like kabuki theater. It doesn't play out anymore like it did back then. Like, oh, this is, this is really bad. You know, Woody Harrelson's really in trouble. Um, now people, yeah, of course they did that. You know, he said what he said. They did what they did. But it's like role playing at this point. Do you see what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Within within literal seconds, they have memes um, pointing all of this out. I saw I, I saw somebody collected a bunch of headlines from Rolling Stone, um, calling him an anti vaxxer which which is just going back to your spin days and when Rolling Stone actually had some credibility as a cool publication. And now it's the one that just it attacks like an attack dog. If someone dares to break the narrative, but um, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. fascinating. That's the shaming machine. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. It's, it's not, it's, it's a whip, right? It's like this whip. It's like showing everybody, okay, we're going to whip this formerly, venerated elevated star figure we're gonna whip him now he's been a he's been bad and we're gonna whip him and the next thing is okay what happens in his psyche what happens to his manager his this his that the other like look what they did to roseanne that is an incredible yes incredible example of what i'm talking about um it's 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 a because we, because we don't like they killed all. They killed Roseanne in her show that she invented, created, and wrote. <laughs> yeah, they killed the character. Yeah. So it's like, but now she's back, and I'm back. You know, so everybody's coming back. <laughs> like, yeah, that, I, and that's everyone a, goes to the doghouse for a while, you know, and then you're just kind of, and you come back, and then I don't know how they're going to deal with that, but it's a, it's a very hopeful phenomenon to kind of circle back to where you started out. Like, yes, there's hope. I mean, no, not hope. Yes, there's a new pattern now. There's a new thing going on now, where they don't just get to take us out, and that's the end of the story. Yeah, because. It's the methods of communication have changed so much that they they use those methods to control us to a point, but they can't control everyone. And we don't live as as tyrannical as the U.S. can be at times. We don't live in a totalitarian state where Woody Harrelson is just dragged off and shot backstage so he can come back. Roseanne can come back. You can come back. It's not to say that you guys haven't suffered, but – 
they set they try and turn you guys into examples of hey you you're a really good investigative journalist and you, you your skills could take you really far maybe one day if you're lucky you'll work for the Washington Post or the New York Times and then you ask questions about AIDS and it's like uh 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 and they punish you but it's not you're not thrown into the into a brig or uh, this is right pin- that's right pin- it's pin- not old Chile. style yeah it's not old style like uh, Iron Curtain uh, yeah yeah it's not it's not it's not thuggish that way it's the way it's the way it's done in in what we call the West right it's 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 more it's killing people without killing them. Yeah, and giving them that room to, for redemption in their eyes, where you could come back and say, "Oh, now I see the error of my ways," and like your comeback could have been in twenty twenty in lining up with Fauci to battle COVID, and you know, some pe- when I see some of the the, so, the rock stars who lined up for the jab and and the whole narrative, you realize, oh, they just just saw, they just saw this opportunity, mm-hmm. and the and that's virtue signaling, which to bring it back to AIDS, which part of what was so uh, the weapon that was wielded against you and your colleagues was that so many uh, they cynically talked about how this entire community and and entire continents could be wiped out and they they fabricated so much about this disease that anyone who challenged what they were saying could be easily painted as someone who didn't care about all those victims. And somehow Fauci and his ilk were the ones who actually cared while you and your colleagues that were actually sharing facts could look like you were indifferent to the pain of others. And so it was, it was like this, like you said, the shaming in this weird form of virtue signaling that they, they came out as the ones who were trying to rescue people. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was much worse than that. It was, it was, there was a, a specific accusation, which was that we were mass murderers. We were murdering people. They always invoked Africa, murdering people in Africa. And, and when I was attacked most, most uh, intensely for my 2006 Harper's article, uh, not to get sarcastic, but like, oh, you, you think they're reading Harper's and, in, in, uh various countries in Africa. <laughs> in other words, that our messaging was going to reach people in Africa who they cared about. And these people were going to say, oh, HIV is not a threat. We don't need to use condoms. Uh, and then they were all going to catch the deadly virus and die because of us. I mean, this is crazy talk, right? This is crazy stuff. But that was what was going around. These kinds of these kinds of ideas and these scientists and these journalists are extremely dangerous and have cost countless lives. Uh, and uh, our ki- so the idea that I- ideas, scientific uh, trains of thought, of inquiry, could kill people if they were allowed platform, if they were, that was like this new super bizarre thing that came in with AIDS. Maybe it was there before maybe it was there with polio i don't know maybe it was always there in different forms but it seemed new of course i was just starting out at the time so as soon as i got on to as soon as i began in journalism this this thing appears you know where it's like we're not just this is what i say in, in robert f kennedy jr's book it's a very long quote that, that came to me and it 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 it, it came to me what it why it is that Fauci was so destructive I wanted to I wanted to say something that was different from what has already been said and voluminously documented and 
what came to me was that the the real darkness to me of of Anthony Fauci and how he achieved what he achieved was that he brought woke and I created an image of it being like a uh, he's like a Rasputin figure who brings it into behind the palace walls and it's like in a in a little tube and it's this potion it's this it's this new thing he has to work with and wield it's a kind of sorcery where he speaks woke now we call it woke then it was called political correctness and he 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 forces science into wokeness he forces epidemiology biology virology into this new um uh, grid whereby what is scientifically or epidemiologically or biologically observable can be deeply wrong and shameful if it contradicts woke so he really he brought that in he brought that in and he made aids the first i mean aids just is 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 an absolute um you know masterpiece of of woke it was all what you were supposed to think how you were supposed to think because of what was going on at the time and and well let's just say politically right and in post stonewall gay culture and all these things were going and that all the ways that people spoke about it were put through this mesh of um appropriate thinking politically correct thinking basically aids think like the way the way orwell gave us in his in his masterpiece 1984 right he gave us he gave us the formula for this that there's yeah. going to be a tyranny that's going to force you to reverse your brain waves and 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 there's going to be it's going to be like opposite opposite think and the thing that is true has no meaning and you are not right just because your fact is true you can still be wrong in fact you'll be even more wrong and even more condemned the more correct you are it it, it was bonkers and now with covid they brought it to even a next level and the more people that break out of the spell every day people now are beginning to well, hang on a minute wait what the new york times even admitted <laughs> that masks don't work and harmed people so what was it that caused that to be considered the good way to think and the good way to be well tony fauci for one Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, but all of them there's like I don't know how many thousands of yeah, these uh, of, these unelected technocrats that right. that are there you know Fauci is a figurehead but there's so many of them whose names and faces we'll never know who are laying this out and I love the way you just described the the seeds that he planted and he stayed around long enough to help them blossom um so I was Before I have a question for you but I want to go back to what you just said about Fauci. So when you were writing about this and you're meeting with the Carrie Mullises and the and the Duesbergs and all these people was there a sense that any of you could could recognize what Fa- what groundwork Fauci was laying in terms of like I said nobody used woke at the time but could you sense that this was going to be a direction that uh, and a and a blueprint that they were going to use over and over again in it or is this in retrospect you're saying this that's a great question i don't 
I, I, oh, I'll say this. I think we all shared a deep dread that if they could get away with this, and I remember saying this, and I sort of can't believe that I had this thought as early as like the early 90s or maybe even late 80s. If they can get away with this, they can get away with anything, mm. right? If this can fly and not be shot out of the sky, um, a a wildly, first of all, the whole theory was crazy, like out of a bad science fiction novel. There was no foundation of proof, there, but there wasn't even an interest in proof. It was like, oh, proof. What are you, one of the, you know, like it was something you spit on, proof. We don't have time to cry. And and you were you were a terrible person for even having, what what did Gallo what's the foundation what did he find what on what basis did he hold that press conference and say that the US government had found the cause of AIDS and i remember very well how how that went over you know not very well everybody thought all so, such talk almost overnight was um was destructive i guess homophobic so in other words, what I, what I call that is the, is cla- the classical world, the like classical science, cla- um, evidence-based, that you take time and you have different scientists weighing in. I mean, this kind of idealized dream world of science we all had in our heads. What comes in with AIDS is it's like this thing is just known and declared by government fiat and everybody who's right, who's right on, right on and right with the world gets the message and starts marching and starts attacking anybody who doesn't get it. And the people who, who don't get it, who are still asking for proof and evidence and so forth there, they become the, the outcasts, almost like the cast list. It's like, is this all social status stuff? Right, and it's understood very quickly that if I want to have a career, I have to adopt um, these these handed down notions without questioning them, because then I'm normal, and then I'll get a job and I'll get a promotion, and I won't be, you know, blown up like a Peter Duisburg. So of course they made an example out of Peter Duisburg. And if your listeners don't know who he is um he's chapter one in the book it's called the passion of peter duisburg and i think that might be my favorite chapter in the book and i don't know if i completely veered off what you asked no 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 you no you you answered it and i'm so torn right now because i feel like i could go rapidly into the direction of you've used the word a couple times to describe what what went on as darkness, but then at times you're, you're touching on some of the specifics of the book. And I, I really, really want the readers to buy the book and read the book and, and, and appreciate the, the incredible amount of information that's in there and how it, how it presages. Um, just, I'll just give one example, how like the rushed approval of the age drug AZT is, was the fastest approval of a drug until the COVID vaccine. And the, these type of, these type of connections need to be discussed, but I'm fascinated by 
the connection, the underlying connection you're talking about is that, you know, men like Fauci and his ilk laid down this foundation where facts no longer mattered. Like Carrie Mullis said to you that scientists shouldn't believe they should have evidence. And Fauci's people believe things. They, the evidence, like you said, they spit on that. That's if you question it, then you must hate gay people. And then you can think of where that went in today's society. And we were talking before we started recording about what, like, AIDS as a disease or COVID as a disease, really this phenomenon of AIDS and this phenomenon of COVID, what are they? Like, uh, like what do you call it? Is, you know, is it a psyop? Is it a spiritual war? So I'm open to going in either direction. Yeah, well, let's, yeah, let's riff on that, please. (laughs) Thank you. That's what I was hoping you were going to (laughs) say. Um. And I want to sometimes just pull back and try to say it very simply. So, so AIDS actually is, was appropriately named acquired immune deficiency syndrome, acquired, not infectious, acquired. So how was the disease acquired? So there was absolutely a, a, an, an illness or a cluster of symptoms in sexually active gay men in big cities starting in the late seventies, actually, that was, that was new. Um, and it's all through the book, all the discussions that actually those discussions came from my, my, my gay sources, my like Michael Callan, Richard Berkowitz. So, that whole discussion, why did those first patients get sick? What were they doing? I'm not going to get into that right here and now, but I'll just say it starts with there is a new, there is indeed a syndrome. And there's waiting in the wings, there's a kind of financially weak Centers for Disease Control. There's a generation of retrovirologists in quotation marks, waiting for a retrovirus to be deadly and dramatic and significant. Um, my father had this phrase, an orgasm in search of a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, I, so, so there's like all these things that are happening that are kind of wanting it to be a virus, wanting it to be a retrovirus, wanting it to be a single cause, wanting it to be something that generates money, 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 funding, crisis, emergency. Then you have the AIDS activists, and I still don't know really where they came from or who was funding them. Some of the the leaders often were like Wall Street guys. Um, So all these forces are converging, and it's hard for me to say which ones were natural, which ones were generated, synthetic, planted, you know, by what we, what we now, what we call the deep state. But it all came together like the perfect storm until next thing you know, this is not a syndrome or disease or gay cancer that is afflicting gay men. It has ballooned into a, all right, let's look for the words, um, global, apparatus yeah like a marketing campaign 
that en- yeah, encompasses everything and can achieve everything. It can, it can do, it can do land grabs. It can do pop. It can do depopulation and population control, um, mind control. It can do all, all kinds of social engineering. Of course, the the money part people have covered. You know, I I yeah. I, I, I believe HIV AIDS. Last number I heard was approximately a $2 trillion global industry. Um, Because here's the trick, the black dark trick of it all is scare the bejesus out of the people through a moment in time. In this case, Bob Gallo, press conference, cause of newspaper articles, terrible disease, People dropping dead, dropping dead. Now everybody, everybody read the story as okay, gay men were dying, and then the media deliberately turn, uh, morphs the story into it's coming to the straight world, it's coming to the suburbs. There was a cover story in Life magazine that was arranged by Matilda Krim and Terry Burns of Amfar, and it had a, a family. Nobody knew that. Uh, the parents were heroin addicts, which is why they looked so emaciated. But it was a family, if memory serves, mother, father, two children. And the headline said, AIDS, now anybody can get it. Mm-hmm. More or less, that's what it said. And this was a bomb. This wasn't just a magazine article. It was, like, And this is this is like the weaponization of of really scary ideas coming through the media. And they always have this quality of projection, right? What could happen? What could happen? And I guess our brains are just wired this way. Maybe we will evolve out of this, but our brains are wired that, you know, this thing that could happen, that means it is going to happen. So so the scare, I went back and collected some reels of, of early AIDS propaganda. They were, they were commercials that ran on television in the UK, in the United States, in Australia. And you would just, not, I'm going to have to send them to you. You would not believe it. They, they look so, you just like fall down laughing now <laughs> looking at them. But it's like people you know screaming and falling into graves and 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 the, and being like knocked over by gigantic like bowling balls that are supposed to represent the deadly virus coming for you if you kiss someone if you don't use a condom i mean it was like it was like just the most ham ham hammy hammy horror movie and I remember that stuff, and I remember actually being affected by it when I was about 18, before I started my reportage, I had just come back to New York. I didn't understand how, it's like the brain cannot comprehend that they would just, that they would just scare people half to death with no foundation. I think we yep. understand that now, but back then it seemed incredible. It seemed like, Oh, they've got to be, they're warning us. They're warning us. And, and then we all talked like that. Like, I don't know if you remember when like Haitians were supposed to be a risk group, when toilet seats, salad leaves, 
dolphins. Remember the dolphins? <laughs> like it was, a, and every time everyone was traumatized, like, oh, did you read about the dolphins? You know, and, and tried to avoid doing the thing that was the latest thing. And, and Fauci got behind every last idiotic, yeah, completely unfounded scare tactic. Okay, so so we've established, so that's how the, and then the, all the media now, what's the media's motivation? Of course, it's funding, and of course, they have pharma. So the model, the, the, the trick goes like this. The scare comes first. When the scare has soaked into the people's minds, now you want to sell them something where they can alleviate their terror. So that's the test, in quotes, the test. Mm-hmm. If you open any HIV test, Eliza Western blot, it will say, I know this is really shocking. It's documented in the book. This test cannot test for the presence or absence of HIV. <laughs> uh, that's a big rabbit hole. But And people don't even care. They just want the experience of just tell me I'm going to be okay. Tell me I'm not going to die. Right? That's a huge psychological flip switch right there. Like, just tell me I'm not going to die. And so, so it's testing, 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 and then separating people and segregating people and making people very suspicious and wary of each other. This one might have AIDS and that one, you know, so that that's all stuff that the depopulationists like. They like it when we don't get together, let's just say. (laughs) Right. They don't like, they don't like families. They don't like people having children. We, we, that part of the playbook we, we did not have at the time and we have it now. I wasn't sophisticated enough at the time to think that this level of a machine could be lying to me. And I just was, we, it was, it was just terrible. Like you, you're a young person and suddenly the thought of just making out with someone at a club could be the last thing you ever did type of situation where it was so powerful. And those commercials were corny, but they got us because we didn't have the internet yet. So commercials were our source of propaganda back then. And so I could completely relate to this. And you in the book lay then the foundation of the the facts underneath this. And I, I, it's, it's just so obvious at this point of what the foundation they laid and and what it has reaped now with covid but then to go back to how you were just talking earlier the solution is also obvious where if someone who as we discover this stuff we can we can explain it to people we can give examples we can meet them where they're at and help them understand that that not everything is a conspiracy, but don't believe the conspiracy that the people in charge are looking out for you. Like that may be the biggest conspiracy. And I feel like the work that you've done throughout your entire life, but now you're, as you said, you're back and you're, do, you're, you're coming through on a, with a different focus and, and mission can, is going to be the most important work you've ever done. Yeah, I think so because I think really what my my what my what, you know of course I've had a lot of time to think about why did I get into all this and why was that my life and what this disease that primarily afflicted gay men and then all the stuff about the drugs and how easy t- why did I get into this but I think really it's it, yes it was important uh, about the specific people that they were targeting in that dragnet right and 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 there but but i would say even more important maybe the lesson is how to 
uh, how to anticipate and counter both abuse, uh, like abuse, psychological warfare, deception. Mm-hmm. That's a Christian word, deception. Um, and how, because all, all through our lives, whether it's Anthony Fauci or the media or your next door neighbor, this really is the, the, the struggle. You know, how, how do you counter deception and why does it matter so much? Why is it so important not to, like, to be able to tell the difference between the truth and a lie? And if somebody asked me, but why, and they did many times, why are you so obsessed with this thing? Um, it wasn't the thing exactly. It was the, I could not understand why it was such a sin in American journalism. I was new to the United States. I'd grown up in Sweden. I started out in New York City, but then grew up in Sweden from the age of 11 and came back to the States. Why it was such a sin to listen to the other side, the the esteemed top scientists, like such as a Peter Duisburg, who was saying, no, no, that's wrong. HIV this is his, you know, this is his paradigm and his structure was to say there are retroviruses, they are all harmless. This is a common retrovirus. It's not going to do anything to anybody. It's a it's a pussycat, he used to say. I wouldn't in my, I wouldn't mind being injected with it. Now in today's world, most of the, there there's growing awareness about terrain theory, and those people would say, Why did Duisburg even think there was such a thing as retroviruses? But let's just leave that aside. Mm-hmm. Um he was somebody who was saying, you're not, you're not going to die. Don't worry about it. This is, and he was so hated for that. And that struck me as, it struck me as, as first of all, interesting, important. It had light around it. Um, But also just this basic question, doesn't a journalist go to the guy who's saying something different from and unique from what everybody else is saying? Yep. And then as they, come after me and beat me up, whether it was inside the, you know, whether it was at spin or in my social circle or in the media or in the heaven knows gay community, kind of like, I guess I just dug in the more they vilified me. And I, I could not understand what my sin was. I sort of kept looking for it and looking for it. And now today I understand that, uh, I, uh, they are they are phobic and and they are obsessed with us. Yes. We are not obsessed with them. Yes, you you just nailed it. In, in that, the onus should be on them to prove their points. But I want to focus on on what you said as we begin to wrap up here. Where how you got how you got into this and why you stayed in it? Because as you said, it wasn't so much the topic; it was the concept. And I think that's what makes you you. Where you two things you understood what journalism the the true mission mission of journalism is and secondly you had this desire to um ask more questions that are being asked and when someone like peter duesberg um is vilified and no one's listening to him and then they continue to pound on him you say to yourself well they're kind of proving my point that that this this is something worth exploring i'm a journalist and so i think your ethics as a journalist kept you digging in because they 
didn't give you satisfactory answers as to why you shouldn't interview this guy and factor his opinion into your ultimate thesis. And I, I think that's really admirable. But I saw in some notes you sent me this, this optimism you have about what journalism is now and how not mainstream legacy journalism, but Substack and people who are doing this other level of digging. So to sort of yeah. tie it together to wrap up where yeah. a positive message is that the foundation that the, the fact that you dug in and didn't give up is bearing fruit now in this generation of journalists that are dug in and they don't they don't shut out other opinions they try to factor it all in and then come up with their own thesis and I I think that this is a really positive trend and I would love to you just maybe in closing just talk about what you see as as a good direction for journalism to head into in in the dare I say post covid era yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I feel that we are in a golden age of of journalism now. And I thought it was I thought it was over, you know, curtains. I had honestly a decade of being it felt like house arrest. I was I was it was just it was understood by me uh that I, I people said, "Well, did did you pitch yourself? Did you try?" I knew that wherever after after the big Harper's attack, and, and that was a, a a very well coordinated massive attack, where they uh, they put out a manifesto saying I had made fifty six errors in Harper's. It was it was pretty much the end of the world. It was the end of Harper's. Louis Lapham was supposed to resign. My editor was supposed to resign. <laughs> it was, the, and they had a panel discussion about it in in Toronto at the AIDS conference. Um, wow. That, wow! What are we going to do about? Um, science, uh, science journalism that isn't science journalism that's done by journalists who aren't even scientists, and and it was all about essentially me and my Harper's article. I, I, I was like this crisis, and the way they answered it on the panel, they were just foaming at the mouth, and the, the way it was AIDS researchers and people from the Wall Street Journal and the editor of the Lancet and and uh, um, a very no- notoriously violent. Uh, persecutor of AIDS dissidents in the uh, he was then an HIV researcher named John P. Moore, um, who put out in words he wrote to an HIV positive man who was an HIV dissident, "We will crush you, all you denialists, one by one. We will crush you." Um, and I, or he said something like, "Not all the foot soldiers, but sort of like the main ones. Trust me, we will crush you." And it was just it was it's so incredibly revealing of their um <laughs> their vibe you know um not blessed be the name of the game it should be let everybody say what they're going to say and and the truth will win out these people and we see it in covid they they have a very sick mind i'm going to come back to journalism in a second but they have a they have a fascistic mindset which is mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we decree and declare the truth we deliver it through our our media what they decided at that panel discussion was we have to train, we have to create the very schools that mint the journalists that are permitted to write about science so that these kinds of things like Harper's, these disasters don't happen again. And I knew if I knew anything that this was, this was sick. The, uh, the idea of, um, I mean, this is, this is like the stuff out of, former East Germany, right? Yes. Um, 
And I knew in my heart that I wasn't wrong about my notions about what is the spirit of journalism. It's the spirit of curiosity and inquiry and, and talking to people and opening up the conversation. What do you think? What do you think? Putting it, letting it all be aired out. I knew that I wasn't wrong about that, but I, I, took, I, I had received such tremendous heavy blows that I had a long time and I, I, I fell ill with something that felt like some kind of chronic fatigue syndrome. So I had many years of just having to focus on my, on my health and um, not really being in the game anymore, not really, um, not really having ambition or trying to, trying to pitch or write articles anymore. I was like, I, I just had time to sit in the doghouse and ponder my, my journalistic sins. And what I, what I came to was that I knew, I, again, I knew I wasn't wrong, but I knew that, um, that they were rewriting the, they, the, the money powers were, were, were bulldozing and rebuilding the entire terrain of journalism, which is what we see. That's what gave us the COVID narrative. This is like mm-hmm. Bill Gates bought and paid for, I, I, well, let's not even call it journalism, it's propaganda. They did that. And because they did that, what they didn't factor in was that a new journalism would spring forth, which it has done now through Substack and so many other channels, which is really their worst nightmare, where so many people who didn't even consider themselves journalists who are now just so hungry for the truth, start their own channels, start their own website, start their own Substack, and they can't snuff all these, all these channels out. Yep. So, so therefore, that's why I, maybe it sounds like an overstatement when I say we have won the war, but I believe in a way they, they intended for the technology to serve only them. But I think we got the upper hand with the technology and there, there really is no way, no totalitarian, no dictator has ever figured out how to snuff out the truth. And that's what, of course, gives me comfort. And it's not, it's not just a theory. I'm, we're, I'm living it day to day now. I'm, I'm, I'm living in a new world where, where I'm not wrong and crazy anymore. Um, you go to Twitter and it's hashtag arrest Fauci and, and all kinds of people are putting up all kinds of stuff. I I can't even keep up with it. You know, I'm by no means in the forefront of the story anymore. Uh, The the kind of journalism I did was, was pretty slow and methodical. And you went and interviewed people and transcribed and pieced it all together. Now it happens very, very quickly. And you look at a phenomenon like project Veritas and we keep seeing the same thing again and again is that there's these, all these, all these great people who just, they're, they're hunters, you know, they hunt down, they get a story, they put it out there, it blows up, it goes viral, um, they get attacked, they get snuffed out, they get deplatformed, and thereby, people understand that they were right. Yep. Amen to that. That 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 is a perfect coda to this in the sense that I just want to return to the beginning and say that I want to validate and and 
your the experiences that you and your colleagues went through. This was very, very challenging, and it, it is understandably challenging to dig this back up and share this. But the, the, you played a major role in laying this foundation in which we have this new wave of truth seekers that do this journalism in in like viral time it's like it's everything practically happens in real time and that they didn't expect the master's tools to be used against them these these powers that shouldn't be but as usual they underestimate humanity and they overplay their hand and that's that's the part like it's easy to say oh it's the same things over and over when we're talking about the negative stuff but but there are some same things over and over about how humans recognize what's going on come up with creative ways to challenge it and win so it's not always just bad news and so i think that that we need to focus on that and i want to give you credit for for a, a lifetime of of dedication to this type of journalism leading by example and now coming back with this information and with a wellspring of knowledge that you can share with other people and i just want to really really again urge people to check out the book, Serious Adverse Events and Uncensored History of AIDS, which is available from Chelsea Green Publishing. And all the information will be in the, in the show notes. And Celia, just as we wrapped up, we went, we went like an hour here, I think. Um, just as we wrapped up last time, it's like the last three words you said to me was to be continued. And I feel like we're going to do this again relatively soon because there's so many layers here and I'm just fascinated to listen to you and learn from you and, and grateful that you made this much time to talk and that you're back, that you're, you're, you're out there despite the challenges you're doing this really, really crucial work and leading by example. Thank you, Mickey. You are, you're a blessing. So we'll, we'll, I'll be in touch and let's do this again. Okay. I would love to. To be continued. <laughs> I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. I want to once again thank Celia Farber for an excellent interview and once again urge all of you to find the links in the show notes to pre-order 
her book, Serious Adverse Events, An Uncensored History of AIDS. So thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for becoming paid subscribers. And thank you for keeping your guard up.